0: Hallelujah, what a beautiful, sweet, and glorious presence of the Lord that fills this place. Amen. I want to welcome each and every one of you to High Point Church. A special welcome this morning to James and Jenny Goldsberry. It seems like it's been forever since we have seen them, and we want to welcome It's good to have Dean and Sherry back with us again this morning. In worship with us. To our first time guest, I want to welcome you and just invite you to allow the Spirit of the Lord to move you as He desires the liberty to do so, and we want you to make yourself right at home. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you would, this morning, I invite your attentions to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar passages we're using for our foundation this morning and our launching point as we continue in our series of messages living above spiritual mediocrity. I come to this pulpit again this morning with an ever-increasing desire to rise the spiritual plateau. I know there's so much more for you and I to enjoy in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit than we have up to this point. There's so much for us to receive. The Lord has ordained and called a glorious church. Amen. A church with power and authority, regardless of the age. Amen. Amen. This morning I want to address the subject, if I may, for a little while, standing alone when outnumbered. There's nothing more intimidating than standing for something or standing alone and being outnumbered. It's an intimidating position to be in. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, penned two very powerful and profound and timeless passages that go like this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you... And everyone said amen. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you again this morning for this privilege and opportunity that you have granted to us that we can assemble together here today as we have thus far, worship you in song and in praise. We have already heard your word as it has been so graciously and powerfully delivered to us. And as we come to this time, the preaching of the word, I ask you today to anoint to bless and to help us today to be an instrument and a vessel for your glory and for your honor as we minister to this congregation today. And is in the name of Jesus, I ask it and everyone said, Amen. amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> to rise and live above spiritual mediocrity, we must be willing to stand alone when we are outnumbered. We must be willing to stand alone when we are outnumbered. You see, we are involved in a spiritual warfare. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible declares. And as such, there will be times... In our spiritual journey that we will find ourselves outnumbered in the battle for righteousness. Amen. I recall as a student in high school. Reading and hearing these words by our teacher as we studied history. Words, remember the Alamo. I can still picture our american history teacher by the name of mister alfredo standing before our history class echoing these words as he prepared us to read and study this infamous event and as such this cry has immortalized that famous texas battle in our memories as we learn about it through the years with that being said just allow me for a moment to share with you a few of the statistics surrounding that event as I use this for an illustration in our message for this morning it goes something like this the siege of the on the San Antonio mission lasted from February the 23rd to March the 6th in the year of 1863 under General Santa Ana 5,000 Mexican troops surrounded the Alamo and they attacked it for 13 days relentlessly, just kept attacking it and kept attacking it, outnumbered almost 30 to 1. The Texas volunteers, I want you to notice, and I want to emphasize that word, volunteers. The Texas volunteers stood alone and they fought valiantly. One by one, their ranks were thinned by the enemy's bullets and the cannonballs that were hurled into the compound there. And as the battle climaxed with a massive attack over the mission walls, all 182 remaining men lost their lives. It is interesting to note, however, the volunteer strategy had been to delay the Mexican forces long enough for the Texas settlers to organize an army. That was their mission. That was their goal. It was pretty obvious to them with the odds of 30 to 1 that this might not be a battle they would win. But they knew if they could hold off the Mexican army long enough that it would give the citizens of Texas a chance to gather an army together and accomplish their purpose. And as a result, their supreme sacrifice did just that. A short time later, Texas Texas troops, under General Sam Houston, mounted a surprise attack at San Jacinto and captured Santa Ana and secured the independence for Texas. Although the battle for the Alamo was lost, the war for Texas independence was won. All because of a band of dedicated men who were not afraid to stand alone when they were outnumbered. Amen. Now, I will be the first to admit, standing alone is never easy. Never. Whether you're standing on a a basic principle of truth, and you have others around you that do not believe that and don't stand with that, it's, it's never easy to stand alone. However, we as born-again believers have the assurance, listen to me now, as Paul so profoundly declared in Romans 8 and 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Did you really grasp that? If God be for us, who can be against us? You see, Jesus Christ plus one always equals a majority. And though we may lose some of the battles in this life, we know that the war has been and will ultimately be won in eternity. I remind you that Jesus Christ won the war for righteousness when He gave His life on the cross at Calvary. When He died and rose again on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, the war is essentially won. Then what are we doing here, preacher? We are here fighting and maintaining some of the battles until the author of the war is finally and forever consummated when we are called home. Amen. Amen. My friends, the world may storm our walls, but it cannot conquer our souls. Amen. The world may storm our walls, but it cannot conquer our souls. Amen. In the passages I read at the opening of this message just a few moments ago, Paul urgently pleads with believers to break away from the what we'll call the herd instinct, to stand alone with God instead of following the majority. It's easy to follow the majority. Amen. Paul said, "I urge you, brothers, he was simply pleading with them in view of God's mercy to offer what our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. He said, this is your spiritual act of worship as the NIV records it. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But he said, be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. I want you to note that this passage is not referring to salvation. Don't get misled here in that assumption. Paul is not talking about salvation in this regard. Paul refers to those he is writing to as brethren. He's writing to an established, born-again, believing church in Rome. He says, brethren, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Amen. Nor is he suggesting an optional course of action. Paul says, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm doing everything short of commanding you. Nor is he implying that it, it will be easy. Simply by the inference that Paul says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrificing through the Levitical priesthood was never easy. It was a lot of hard work. Amen. So he said, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. With the assistance of Bible commentator Donald Gray Barnhouse. Let me, let me explain it this way. About this not conformed but transformed business. You see, this is the life of the true believer in Jesus Christ. Not conformed to the world but transformed by the renewing of our mind. The first of these two words that we have here before us is conformed and is the translation of a Greek word in the New Testament, and it means that we are not to go along with the world's schemes. Amen. The second of these words is this word transformed, and it's a Greek word which means a very radical change from one nature and life to another. A radical change from one nature and life to another amen this is interesting watch this it is the word metamorphomei which is the word that has given us our word metamorphosis well you talk about a tongue twister you better think about that for you say it and to illustrate when a tadpole is changed into a frog Y'all, we got a bunch of hoosiers in here this morning. They all know what tadpoles are. Now I don't know about other parts of the country how that works. Well, y'all got frogs, so you gotta have tadpoles. Right? I ain't figured out yet how a tadpole lives in these oak trees. We got a bunch of tree frogs from my house, is that? I'm not sure how that all works out, but anyway it works out. But y'all know what a tadpole is, but a tadpole. It's changed into a frog, or when a grub worm becomes a butterfly, we witness the process of metamorphosis. Paul said to be transformed, not to be conformed, but be transformed, go through that radical change from one nature to another. Amen. Amen. In other words, there has been a marked and more or less abrupt change into the form and structure of the creature. That little old woolly worm that's got all that fuzz on it goes from that to a beautiful butterfly through the process of metamorphosis. Now for the born-again believer, that change is not simply cosmetic surgery. I hear that's pretty popular these days in an, in an up-and-growing thing, a lot of cosmetic surgery going on. I figured a long time ago they're not going to help me much. That changes in cosmetic surgery just to make us appear, appear a little different. We're not to appear a little different. We're to have a radical change. Amen. But a radical reconstruction from a human shape of the world into one being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul admonished the church at Rome in, Rome, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to do what? To be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's our predestined, that's our destiny, and that is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? The Apostle John added some strength to that idea. When he penned these words in his epistle found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, John wrote, Beloved, Now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know, everybody say, we know, we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Oh, that's interesting. And then John went on to really drive this point home by saying that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Amen. Amen. Radical change from one to another. Not just a little bit of physical difference. Amen. Jesus seeing that fig tree... Far off, you see, it's more than just appearance. They've seen that fig tree afar off, and knowing that the time of figs was not yet, he went and he pulled the branches back. You see, you can't see the fruit of a fig tree until you pull its branches and leaves back to find out, and there in that you'll find the fruit. And as you know, he didn't find any. Appearance can be deceiving. Amen. You see, consecrating our lives to Jesus Christ involves more than simply shedding our skin in the manner in which a snake sheds its skin. They all shed during different seasons. They don't change. They just shed that old skin and there's a new one under it. It looks just like the one they got rid of. Boy, I could, that's a preachable right there. Somebody say amen. I better be careful. It involves our complete metamorphosis, not just the shedding of skin with the same result after the fact, but with a complete metamorphosis. You see, the process of metamorphosis is seen most dramatically in such creatures as beetles, butterflies, and moss flies, and such things as wasps, where the larval stage differs greatly from the adult stage. This transformation occurs during the inactive pupa stage in which the organs and tissues literally break down into a liquid and are reorganized into adult structure. Boy. That little cute. Fuzzy worm that we see crawling along the sidewalk, he literally d- turns into liquid in the cocoon and then restructure and comes out as a gorgeous butterfly. God did all of that. The universe declares his majesty. Amen. The wonders of creation declare His majesty. Amen. Then it reorganizes into the adult structure that we finally see as that gorgeous, beautiful butterfly that decorates our yard with all of its brilliant colors. So to those who are listening to this via some other form of media, CD tape or on the website, as well as those here in this congregation this morning, are you dissatisfied with the state you are in spiritually? Do you want more than just a seasonal changing of the skins? I will tell you this, if God is going to transform your life, you will have to crawl onto the altar. And before God can ever give us wings, He must first dissolve our old self and restructure it according to His design. We've got to stand alone when we're outnumbered. Regardless of what other people are doing, regardless of what other churches are doing, regardless of what the world may try to mold us into, we must stand alone when we're outnumbered if we're going to reach the spiritual height that we need to reach. Amen. It's important that we size up the world's mold. You see, the Phillips translation of Romans 12 and 2 reads like this. I thought it was very interesting. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. And that's what happens. That's what happens. The world will squeeze you in to its own mold. You see, the contours of the world's mold flows along the lines of fame and fortune, power and money. And look how that has made its way into the ranks of those who call themselves born again Christians. Amen. If our inner convictions, and it's like Brother Dave said this morning, if you, if you can drive up here in a Bentley, God bless you. Hope you got a half a dozen of them at home. It doesn't make us godly. It doesn't make us successful. It doesn't make us prosperous in the things of the kingdom of God. What does make us prosperous and successful in the things of the kingdom of God is where we stand in His presence. Amen. If our inner convictions lie lumped in a pliable, amorphous mass, we'll be shaped by our peers instead of being shaped by Jesus Christ and His power and His presence. Amen. The Apostle Paul warned the church at Corinth in his first letter to them, as recorded in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, said, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. He said, Bad company corrupts good morals. In fact, the wisdom of Solomon reflects this very same idea And conclusion as it concerns the persuasive influence of our associates. Now I'm not suggesting that we do not go out and we intermingle with the world and we, we allow our lives to influence their lives. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. I'm talking about we need to be careful what we embrace. Amen. Solomon said in Proverbs 13 and 20, he who walks with my wise men will be wise. Amen. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. He's talking about companionship, who we embrace and who we who we join forces with. We, he said we must be careful because he who walks with my wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And the truth of the matter is, we live in an age of conformity. Amen. We hear it on the airways of every media source available to mankind. The emphasis on trying to be like this or be successful like that or to accomplish this or to accomplish that. Dr. James Dobson, in his book Hide or Seek, warns that adolescents are more vulnerable to peer pressure. This is so true. Adolescents are very vulnerable to peer pressure. We all want to be liked. That's human nature. We all want to be accepted among our peers and among those we have association with. That's human nature. Amen? As much as I would like for all of the men that work for me and all of the, all of the contractors that I employ, I would like for them to like me. But they don't. I'm the boss. They don't like the boss. Rarely. But we want to be like. We want folks to accept us. We want to be among the. Amen. It's 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 unique to watch a bunch of those guys be gathered up, and because you know what's going on in their little inner circle, of, you know they're telling jokes that should not be uttered in public, so forth and so on. Let me walk up, and they scatter, and the conversation stops. That's right. It's not because I'm the boss. <laughs> they know I'm the preacher. And, and it's unique because they know that that's way out of place and it's, it's, but Dr. Dobson goes on. He said, the pressure to follow the whims of the group called the herd instinct is never so great as it is during the adolescent years. And this drive may be all consuming to a teenager when any deviation from the in behavior is a serious breach of etiquette. We, You know, these young folks, I know how it is, they want to be part of the in crowd. It's not been that long, and since I was in school. Want to be part of the in crowd, and they want to be accepted, and, and there is tyranny in this pressure. Each teenager knows that safety from ridicule can only be found by remaining precisely on the chalk line of prevailing opinion. And it also works with adults. Whether we want to admit it or not, friend, we like, our nature tells us we want to be found remaining precisely on the chalk line of prevailing opinion. And if our opinion is different, because they know I'm very opinionated anyhow, they, very rarely do they ask me my opinion. talk about the folks that I associate with on a daily basis and who I work with. With that being said, let let me ask you parents a, a very important question, several questions, if you will. What kind of friends do your children surround themselves with? What kind of books do they read? Do they read any books at all? In this modern day of technology where we can view everything on a screen. What kind of television shows and movies and music do we allow them to watch and absorb? Hello? Hello? Because you see, these will all play part in molding their lives. Everything we consume, not only for these young folks, but even as adults, everything we consume, if we just continue to consume it and consume it and consume it, it will form our lives. It will have a dramatic impact on who and what we are. Amen? Well, it's amen whether you want to agree or not. For better or for worse, they will leave their imprint and these same questions I, I just asked also apply to you and I as adults here in these words. What are you allowing to influence your life? Amen. You might get stampeded by the herd. Amen. If you are an individual who has the propensity to following the herd, before you know it, you may find yourself caught up in this forever a stampede running with the crowd at a breakneck speed. And if you're not careful, you may just find yourself plunging headlong off the side of a moral cliff. You see, and I step back in biblical history to an illustration before I close that really brings this all to the foundation in which we have been building. Moses warned the Israelites. They were getting ready to go into the promised land. Through God's direction and through his insight, Moses felt there were some things that he needed to admonish them on. And just prior to their entering the promised land, where they would encounter a wild herd, if you would, of Canaanites, Moses gave them an admonition. In fact, here's what he told them. He said, When the Lord your God, Brings you into the land that he swore or he promised, if you will, to your fathers to, he names them Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This land that he said he would give you. A land that is large. Watch how he paints this portrait. Flourishing cities that you did not build. You see, when we do not have a vested interest, we're not quite as careful about what things that are given to us and there's no cost on our, on our behalf. We have no vested interest. He said you're going to a land where you have cities that are large. Flourishing cities you didn't lay the first brick. Places you did not... Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. He said, there'll be wells there that you did not sweat and labor to dig. And vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. He said, then, you, you, because you have no vested interest. You did not toil for those things. You did not have to labor for them. God just said, here. And so it is with the grace of God that has been so graciously and so abundantly bestowed upon us. We didn't have to labor for it. We, by the sweat of our toil and the sweat of our brow, did not have to work for the salvation that we so wondrously and graciously enjoy. We have no vested interest in Calvary. We did not have to go there. We did not have to labor and sweat and toil and give our blood at Calvary so that we could live. He said, then you're going to eat and when you're satisfied, be careful. Moses is pleading with him, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. He said, don't forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He could see that it was going to be so easy to do, just as it is in our day of land. And you know, we may not have everything that we would like to have. We may not enjoy everything that the neighbor might have, or the one who lives down the street, or the individual that we work alongside. But friend, you have been blessed beyond measure. Compared to our lifestyle today as it was 50, 75, 100 years ago, we've got it made in the shade. Go like this. And what happens because of this blessing that we have, that we have not had to sweat and toil for, that is it is blessed that the Lord has given it to us, if we're not careful, we'll forget the Lord. What happens when we don't stand alone when we're outnumbered. Oh, if that's what most folks think, then it has to be right. No. Moses went on to admonish them, Fear the Lord your God. Serve Him only and take your oath in His name. Do not, He said, and I repeat, Do not, Follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Amen. Don't do that. Don't, don't go over there and get caught up in that. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Amen. Standing alone when we're outnumbered. As you stand this morning, let me close with this. Moses' admonition to the Israelites is just as timely today. Amen? I said it's just as timely today. And if we will take it to heart... It will help us remember Jesus Christ in our daily lives so that we will be able to stand alone even when we are outnumbered by the herd of Canaanites. We have been blessed beyond measure. His grace and mercy has shined on us in such magnificence it's really hard to put into words regardless of what you think of political schemes and all of this political nonsense that's going on in our society today we live in the most blessed country of the world we live in a place where God has blessed us and has showered us in his glorious and manifold radiance But if we're not careful, we'll get swept up in that herd, and that stampede of the world. And it will take us away from the God who give us all that we enjoy. Amen? So this morning I ask you, will you, as we reach toward Living above spiritual mediocrity. Will you join with me? Standing alone even if we're outnumbered. Standing for the God who gave us this great and glorious word. Amen. Hallelujah. How many of you want to rise to a near spiritual height? Let's worship for a few moments this morning.